And now. And now, introducing the one, the only. Now let me introduce to you. Lively talk with successful people, barely filtered. This is the Jenna Ben Show. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Jenna Ben Show. I'm your host, Jenna Benemy, and with us today, Mr. Let's Get It On, Big John McCarthy. What's up, John? Welcome. What is happening there? How are you doing, Jenna? Did I butcher that, by the way? No, you were fantastic. (laughs) I wish I could do it that well. You're so great. I got to tell you, every person I've talked to about you coming on the show, they've been like, overly enthused they're like yes he's huge in mma he played a huge influence in the evolution of mma and um i'm just i'm stoked to have you here well i appreciate you having me on here it's very nice and it's nice that people say that i'm not that special but it's uh i've had a great ride i got no complaints yeah, well, you've done a lot, and so we're going to get into that today. So John is currently an analyst for Bellator MMA, but he's like one of the founding guys of the sport. I mean, you've been around since there were no rules. <laughs> yeah, I've been around since the beginning. Yeah, so when Andy Foster Which means came on the show, <laughs> I'm old. No, very it, old. We call it seasoned around well, okay, here. <laughs> see, I got a lot of seasoning going on, man. <laughs> Which means <laughs> you taste delicious. <laughs> So when Andy Foster came on the show from CSAC, you know, he credited you with being a huge influence on the sport. And um, he's actually coming to this next Bellator fight uh, this Saturday. And and for the listeners, by the way, guys, when the show airs um, on Tuesday, this will have already passed. It would have been the previous Saturday. But um, we're lucky to have Big John in town. So um, we have probably tried to schedule this interview about 72 times. No, probably about 10, though. Yeah, it's close. (laughs) Yeah, busy, busy guy. Um, Okay, so today we're going to get into Big John McCarthy's story, how he got started in his career, uh, you know, ups and downs, lessons learned, what's next, and some cool bits of info that I gathered from three people that I'm close with that know you, John, very well. Don't believe a word any of them said. (laughs) They told me some good stuff, but you know, everyone just loves you, so there's just no juice. It's all very positive. (laughs) Okay, that's good. Yes. Okay, so going way back, tell us where you're from, your age, the basics. I I was born and raised here in Los Angeles, California. Unicorn. I uh, ended up, uh, my family moved to La Puente, California, which, you know, probably about 20 miles uh, east of downtown L.A. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lived my life in California, started working uh, LAPD from there. So I spent the first basic 50 years of my life living in Southern California. Damn. So, okay, what was your first job ever? Holy, first <laughs> job ever, I was a newspaper boy. Really? Yeah, if you're talking, I was 11 years old, delivering Herald Examiner newspapers. If you want to say the first job, that and taking out yucca trees. <laughs> the area that I used to live in had a ton of yucca trees in people's yards. They would plant them, and then they would kind of overgrow everything. And I was the dumb kid that didn't mind getting stabbed by the yucca trees. <laughs> So I would go in there, and they had a giant ball root, and I would take it out, and I would make money doing that. That was my first job. Amazing. You guys, if you don't know this about Big John, he has these huge, like, bear claws for hands. <laughs> so I would imagine that, that you know, you, you had the equipment to, to deal with the trees. <laughs> uh, it was uh, – there was a lot of punctures. Uh, I looked like a pin cushion getting some of those trees out. But you know what? I made a lot of money for it. In fact, I, I my dad made me a deal, and my the deal was, hey, if you – Whatever uh, you 
you pay for half of your car when you get you know to the age that you can drive, which was 16. Mm-hmm. He goes, if you pay for half, I'll pay for the other half. Oh, that's nice. And he had no idea how much money I had. And all of a sudden, I came up and I said, hey, you know, you said this. <laughs> he was stuck. <laughs> so he actually, my first truck was, uh, I mean, it was like $5,000 for a brand new truck back then. Wow. That's how old I am. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he paid the he paid $2,500 and I put my $2,500 down and I had myself a new new truck. So Gangster, young entrepreneur. That's it. So you know what's interesting, uh, just off the top of my head, two of my past guests were paper boys too. Um, Boss Rutan, who was just on, and Frank Shamrock, who is a good friend of yours. Both of them. Yeah, Boss is, Boss is as crazy a person, but as good a person <laughs> as you will ever find. Oh, I didn't know you were friends. Oh, my God. Yeah, forever. You know, Boss is, uh, in fact, when I wrote a book. Boss wrote the forward on my book. Nice. You know, Boss is, uh, he's a special human being. He, you know, he's, he's been through a lot. We had a lot of similarities. He had asthma when he was a kid. I had asthma. Yeah. Same thing. And uh, he's just... As good a person as you will find. Just don't just don't get into a bar fight with him. Oh my god, I know. And he's so <laughs> funny watching his videos and the sounds. Ba-ding. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's boss. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he was on the show and I didn't even get through, you know, a third of the questions. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna have him come on and if you're in town it would be great, you know, for the three buds, the three amigos to just shoot the shit on the Genevan show. That would be fun. Yeah. Okay, um so LAPD. How did that happen? My dad was LAPD. Okay. And uh, honestly, God, you know, the, the way it started for me was, I, I my dad is considered the, the godfather of SWAT. The okay. first, the first official SWAT team was LAPD. If you go back and you know all these you know different things that you'll see and stuff, the first special weapons and tactics was from the LAPD. Daryl Gates was a commander at the time, and he wanted this special unit and my dad ended up becoming one of the big guys in it came up with a lot of the ideas of how to do things and stuff mm. and as a kid growing up I got to do some of the coolest stuff mm. you know I learned how to repel when I was very young you know Australian repel regular repel I used to do fast roping I got to do um, what was called spy rigging under a helicopter you would wear this vest and the helicopter you'd hook it on and the helicopter would go up with like five of you and it would take off flying so you felt like you were superman oh my god so oh you're just like in the air the best stuff in the world the but, best he, but stuff he also like used to take for me and he would use me being the dumb kid <laughs> you know he would actually get because if his kid could do it then his guys couldn't complain about it <laughs> You know, and so he would do things that were, you know, I I never had a fear of heights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could walk the ledge of a, you know, a hundred story building. It doesn't bother me. Be- oh but, you God. know, that's just psychological. Some people it right. bothers. Some people it doesn't. It doesn't make me special. But he used to take fire ladders and put them from, you know, it could be two 20 story buildings. And he would put them across from one building and you walk across. It was a way if you had something happening in a building that you could get across that building and come down from the top if there was. Oh my so, God. You know, he do, would have, he would have me walk Do they still do that things. today? Yeah, they kind of still do that. That seems like a huge <laughs> liability. It's like tightrope walking with that's no net under. That's, you know, you, you, when you're going to uh, work for a department with SWAT, there's certain things that's, yeah. there's more to it. So, but I got to do all that cool stuff. And so I really enjoyed that. And I thought that's what, you know, all the police officers were like with those guys because they were the kind of best of the best. And as I got older, I was getting in trouble and doing things. And my dad basically said, look, you're going to do one thing. You're going to put people in jail or you're going to end up being in jail. Mm. And I was like, that's pretty 
pretty <laughs> accurate. logical, accurate. <laughs> and so I ended up uh, applying and eventually got on LAPD. And it was a very good career for me. And Taught you did me a lot. for how long? I did it for 23 years. Wow, that's a long time. And what was your final rank? I was nothing more than a training officer. I was what's called a... Uh, the senior uh, senior instructor of the tactical training unit of LAPD when I left, and it was great. I didn't mm. want to be the guy that uh, like the patrol it, guy. Well, I did the patrol and all that, but that's what I was. I was just that you know I was like the training officer for patrol. I was the highest rank we, we, in LAPD. It was called a P three, mm. not real high. Didn't care about being high. Never wanted. I never yeah. took the sergeant's test. Never cared about that. Interesting. Okay, and so what caused you to leave? You know, it was really a matter of the sport of MMA. Mm -hmm. It was growing and I was having more opportunities to do things within the sport, but because I couldn't get time off with LAPD. Mm. You know, the LAPD helped me in a lot of ways. And you know, there's a lot of stories that go on with how things occurred, but the LAPD is the reason that I got started in mixed martial arts. There was no mixed martial arts. Wow. Yeah, you know, there was actually the the Rodney King incident occurred. Mm -hmm. and that was back in 1991, March of yeah. 1991. And what happened wasn't good. It all looked bad. But at the time, the department was training people to, oh, you know, we don't want you putting hands on them. They're using a stupid steel baton. And because of that event, they came up with this martial arts review committee. Mm. And people on the department knew me and they put me on this committee. I don't know why, but they put me on it, and that's where I met Horry and Gracie. Okay. And kind of, they were, I had a guy doing his demonstrations, and I kind of got picked out, and because he thought I was, I was just sitting there with my hand watching. <laughs> he says, "It doesn't seem like you believe this is working," and I said, "I no disrespect to you at all, but I said he's allowing you to do that. If he doesn't allow you to do that, and he uh, he tries to do something back to you, it's a lot different." Mm. And so I went up there. He says, you want to come up? I said, sure, I'll come up, but I'm not going to just let you do that. I'm going to do something back to you, right? And he said, oh, that's fine. And it ends up, you know, I had wrestled and I boxed, and I just took him down. I got on top. and I, you know, Stop. Took, yeah, and, and my boss yelled at me, get off. <laughs> and Horian and Gracie, I, I went back to my seat, and all of a sudden I had a guy come and sit next to me, and it was Horian and Gracie. Mm. And he said, he goes, where do you train? And we just started talking, and from that moment I was – I want to say that that night I went to his his uh, place and rolled around with his brother, got armbarred, said, how did you do that? <laughs> and fell in love with jujitsu. Amazing. And you were how old at this point? Oh, I had to be 30, about 29, 30 years of age. Okay. So I'm 35. Do you think it's too late for me? Absolutely not. It's never <laughs> too late. You know, the, the, and, and the truth of the matter is this. I'm broken. I admit it. Okay, I've ha I have a lot of injuries from jujitsu. Mm -hmm. You know, I've uh, but it, they're stupid injuries because I let people do things at times, and a lot of it is you know I get into these situations where someone says, "Well, I, I know I I do this mm. or I do that," and you go, "That's not going to work." And then you've got to say, "All right, show me," and you and you've got to put. It's going to be painful. Mm. Okay, but you can't tap because then it's saying, yeah, it works. Right. Okay, and you got to prove that it doesn't. And, you know, my neck looks like, eh, what's that, Spineosaurus <laughs> in uh, Jurassic Park? I got all, you know, I got screws and spikes. And, oh, I got, oh my God. I've had three neck surgeries and I've got cages and I got rubber hockey puck disc for, to wow. replace the other ones. You know, well, that's what happens. You know, but 
I wouldn't change any of it. Let's ask you in 20 years when you're feeling. Oh, I'm feeling it now. Trust me, I was paralyzed for a while. So. Oh my god. You know, but jujitsu for anybody is fantastic. First off, it gives people, you know, it's it's there. It's an athletic endeavor that is good for you. Mm. You learn something that can help you just feel better about yourself. Mm. You learn how to protect yourself in ways. And any martial art, I don't care what it is, is great for people to do because. As long as it's real, and there's fake martial arts out there, mm. but as long as it's a real martial art, it only benefits you. It teaches you discipline. It teaches you respect. It teaches you something that possibly could help you or another in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And anything that is of that, yeah, just ability to affect your life. I tell people all the time. Jiu-jitsu changed my life. It did. It gave mm-hmm. me it gave me a life I never ever thought I would have. You were already a badass before that though. Nah. You know, I thought <laughs> I was a badass until I got armbarred by Hoist when, right. I, when I first <laughs> rolled with him. I said, man, I mean, I'm not as bad as I thought. So mm. Okay. So then you played a role in taking your education in jujitsu back to the LAPD, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh Based off of that martial arts review committee, and then I was just training every you know, every day down with them, and then slowly started to incorporate what was LAPD's big into acronyms. <laughs> yes. They called it Archon. <laughs> okay. Arrest and control, basic stuff. But all of that, you know, they being that you know the department is politically persuaded. You know, mm-hmm. they took and tried to minimize. You know, they tried to take out all chokes. You know, <laughs> even though we would say, well, you could do this, you know, and it's like, this isn't really a choke, but it's a choke, you know, mm-hmm. but it's a, a little bit of cranker. This is going to control someone. But all of those techniques are being used today in departments across mm. the nation. So, and that's. That started with you. Well, I don't know if it started with me, but it started with that program. Wow. And that's, that's a good thing. And it, it, but you can only be in one of the things that we try to teach people off of what we did with, if you want to be a professional, you got to work at being professional right. and it takes a lot more than whatever the department itself is just going to teach you. You want to be good at these things, then you need to go with people that are good mm-hmm. and work at them, you know, at least 3 times out of the week, you know, hopefully 5 times out of the week that right. you're going and that way you can become an asset in situations instead of something that is a problem because you can't handle the problem and it just escalates and gets worse. Sure. You know, Boss was telling us on the show that um, he didn't like feeling that he didn't know how to do something. So he stood in front of the mirror for four hours teaching himself like these moves. And then the next day he goes back to the gym and they're like, oh, you fooled us. You played us. You pretended like you didn't know. And now <laughs> and now you know. He did. And, he used to stand in front of the mirror. Boss yeah. had one of the greatest things I ever heard. And it was the it's just basic truth because, you know, you can sit here and say whatever you want about oh, you know, I don't like to fight or I wouldn't want to fight. And that's fine. That's okay. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But if you asked any man, I don't care who it is. Hey, I've got, you know, the matrix. I've got a blue pill in this hand and I've got a red pill in this hand. Mm-hmm. The blue pill, you're just going to be who you are. The red pill, you take it, you're going to know how to fight. You're going to know how to defend yourself. Yeah. You know, you're going to know how to defend your family. Which one are you going to take? Of course, the red. Okay. So then 
you have that ability to take that red pill. Mm-hmm. It's just more work than taking a pill. Effort. That's all it is. That's it. I would you agree that effort is like that it factor Absolutely. between like success and complacency? Effort is everything. Yeah. Nothing happens without hard work. Hard work will get you wherever you want to be. Now that doesn't mean that if you have ridiculous aspirations, if you're someone that is, you know, you know, if you're a male and you're five foot one and you want to play center in the NBA, guess what? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> I don't care how hard you work. But as long as you have reasonable aspirations, mm-hmm. things that, hey, I can't do that or I don't have that or I don't, I want to, I would like to achieve that. Mm. And it's reasonable, meaning, hey, that's a job I would like to have. That is a car I'd like to drive. There's a way for you to get it. Mm-hmm. And there, it's through hard work. If you work hard, you can make anything happen. I think so too. When I look at the fighters that I brought on the show, I mean, that's kind of like the secret sauce. You know, it's really just it's it's a couple of things actually. It's hard work. It's also not letting people get in your head. Not maybe to really expand on that. It's more not seeking external validation from people who have zero control over the success of your career. And we do, we all do this. We talk to our friends, we talk to our family. And when I talk to these fighters, just so you know, across the board, the majority of them are like, yeah, the biggest doubters at first were the people closest to me. So what does that say? And I don't think people are bad. I just think that it's everyone um, likes to err on the side of caution. Yeah. You know, and it's scary to tell someone, yes, go and, you know, become a fighter, uh, in your mid twenties, you know, because they don't see it. And that's a scary thing to support. But, you know, like Gabriel Rosado, boxer, he started late. I can't remember. I think he was um, either like late teens or early twenties. And his own sister was like, what are you doing? Like everybody around him was clowning him and then he did it. And then it's like, okay, he did it. And now everyone's like his biggest supporter. Oh yeah. Now I'm really behind you. Right. You know, it's, God, it's, I tell you, you know, I talk with fighters all the time, and there's there's perceptions out there, and the perceptions that people get with fighters is first off, they're mean people. Mm, yes. Okay. Absolutely, one of the most ridiculous things ever. So most, wrong. I'm learning this. And so, so wrong. many fighters actually, you know, I had a lot of fights in my life, and and I know a lot of fighters never fought outside of an actual competition. Mm. Never got into right. a little scrap on the schoolyard or, you know, something. No, never. Mm. Because they're not mean people. Okay. Most of them are pretty intelligent, actually. Mm-hmm. And, but one of the things that drives me crazy about them is they are so influenced by people that should have no influence mm. in their life. And I tell them all the time, you know, social media is a huge problem. Right. Because no matter who you are, you want people to like you. Yes. Okay. And it takes a certain person to, to figure out, if you don't like me, too bad. Right. All right. You don't know me. Mm. All right. You have an image. You have a perception. And you think you know who I am. You don't like me or you really like me, whoever it is. And I tell guys all the time, why are you allowing people that have no absolute, no knowledge of who you truly are? Mm-hmm. Why are you giving them any kind of value, why are you allowing them to rent space in your head? Yes. You know, and I tell them, I said, look, look, take a look at one hand. My dad told me long ago, he said, hey, I want you to look at that hand. You see the number of fingers on that hand? If you think you have more really good friends than what you, mm. what's on that hand, mm-hmm. you're a pretty stupid individual. 
Interesting. And you got those are the people you trust. Put people around you that you know are going to tell you the truth. Yes. Whether you like it uh-huh. or whether you don't, but it's the truth. Mm. You know, and I, I'm I, one of the things that I've really been lucky about is I've been able to train other officials. And there's a ton of guys out there that I have trained, I've, I've spent a lot of time with, and they're at the top of the sport now. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel great. I, I I used to like to have them get the fight, the big fight, over me because they worked hard for it. Right. Those the, these are the guys that did things right. But some of them, you know, there's guys out there. Frank Trigg has taken more abuse from me. <laughs> okay. Mike Beltran has taken more. I am so mean to him at times, you know. But I'm honest. I right. don't do it out of hey, I, I just want to screw with you. I do it out of, hey, you need to figure life out. You need to figure what is important in this situation. Yeah. And he puts up with me. Yeah. But that's the kind of person you need around you is the person that's going to give you information that you need to make yourself better. And you know what makes you very likable despite the hard truth is that you're consistent across the board. You'll give the hard truth and you're unapologetic about it and you own your shit. You know, and that's the difference between someone being difficult and then like, oh, but I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. It's like, no, listen, bro, you're messing up. Here's what you got to do. And I'm going to love you regardless. Yep. But yeah, fix your shit. Fix your shit. <laughs> I'm going to use that for now. Especially on Beltran. Dude, fix your shit. Ask Jenna. Frank um, took more abuse from me. You know, Frank, Frank first asked. He wanted to come. I do training courses. Mm. And he says, he goes, hey, man, you think? I said, absolutely. Just come on out, you know. And uh, he took it when he was commentating, doing the job I do now. Nice. And he said, he goes, I want to know, you know, what's the right thing to do? What should that official be doing? So he takes it. And and after, you know, done, he doesn't take any of the tests and stuff. And he goes, you know, I think I could pass this. I said, you do, huh? And he goes, yeah, can I come back next year and take it and take the test? I said, absolutely, you can, Frank. I'll, I'll let you. Yeah. I go, but you better do a whole lot better than you were doing in this class this time. Yeah. Gotta and he's grow. like, hey, well, what do you mean by that? I said, <laughs> just telling you, you're going to have to do a whole lot better. And so he came back and he took it and, you know, and I failed him. <gasps> hey, I'm not, I will not ever pass someone because I like them. Right. I will pass them because they're good. And you have to meet, uh, I have a very high standard and and I'm not saying it's fair Mm. and I'm not saying I can make that standard, but if I'm going to put my name behind you and I'm going to say you are ready to work with fighters because you have so much fighters are putting everything they have into this. Mm -hmm. There's so much riding on it, their livelihood, how much money they make, not only in the fight that you're doing, but if you don't do that right, you could affect the next time. Yes. what they're going to make yes, and you can affect their life in, you know, are they going to be able to walk back in? Because no matter what, when a fighter walks in a cage, there are those times that they're going to walk out absolutely unaffected, not changed at all. Mm-hmm. Everything is the same as when they walked in. They've had that kind of fight. They didn't take any damage. Yeah. And then they're going to walk out sometimes where, you know what, there's little tiny bits and pieces of who they are that are left, that they'll never get back. Yes. And then there's those fights, they leave giant pieces mm-hmm. of who they are and they will never be the same. You know, and I did over 10,000 fights and I, the, one of the you know, most important things for me is not one person that I ever refereed ever was taken out of that ring that if they wanted, 
couldn't come back in and do it again. Mm, and okay. There's a, you know, that's that's one of the hardest things with being an official. You are that person that is judging can this person continue on and be competitive? Yes. Can they continue on and they're going to be okay the next time they do this? Mm. There's so much writing on it that people don't think about it because they're not invested in that same fashion. You know, you have an uphill battle kind of ahead of you, John, because it's so subjective. It's so hard to say, you know, if the heads turn this way or if they're in this, if the lock is really tight versus just kind of tight, you know what I mean? It's like there's so many, it's very subjective. And I've I've observed fights where I have been, and it wasn't just me. Now, I cringe in general because I hate seeing people get hurt. So I don't know what the hell I'm doing, guys. But, you know, the people around me were cringing too. So that ref let it go on far too long. The guy's fighting with this big bubble of a black eye. There's blood every, it's just like, I don't know. We all agreed that it went on too long. And okay. so uh, how do you train that? You know what I mean? You train it like you train anything. If I was going to ask you right now, how many types of knockdowns are there? I don't know. That's a problem. Well, it's I'm a, not a ref, so. <laughs> well, exactly. And and this is my point. is When you sit there and say, oh, they, they've got the person in the hold. Thank God. Mm-hmm. That's when I go, oh, my life just got easy. Okay. Okay. But everything that you do is how do you prepare yourself for those moments? Because when the fight is going on and you don't know what's occurring as far as I don't know what that hold is, Mm. now the fight speeds up. Now your brain's speeding up. And now you're going to make the mistake. Okay. It's when you can take the fight. It's why Tom Brady is so good at what he does. Mm. He's a quarterback. There's a ton of quarterbacks he can slow the game down to where he knows, based upon where you're at right now, you're going over this way, you're going over this way. That safety is going to drop back on here. Mm. And here's going to be my open area. He can predict. He can predict. Based on all the different exactly. possibilities. And so, you know, when I was refereeing, I, there was not one time that I didn't know the hold that someone is using. Mm-hmm. And do I know, is it being applied correctly? Or is, hey, there's too much space. That's not that tight. And then you can predict that, you know, they, you know, the opponent might get out of it and blah, blah. And so and it, you're okay. Already... And if they're going to get out, which is the direction that they can get out? Right. Can they swing around to the right and get out this way? Or can they come to the left? Well, they can't come to the left. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the only way they can get out is to swing to the right. So what am I going to put myself? So when they swing, they swing right into where Smart. I'm at. And that's how you are prejudging the fight as mm-hmm. it goes. And you are also you're you're breaking things down to when they happen it's giving you time because time in MMA is everything for the referee you don't get a lot of time you have to make very quick decisions yes. so if a person gets hit and they go down first type of knockdown you'll see is when a person gets hit they go down they go backwards because we all fall backwards right and their hands you're going to see their hands start to yeah kind of brace out if That's, they're if they're lucid, sometimes they just go all the way well, back. What it tells you is if their hands are going back, that brain is still connected. Okay. Okay. And so I don't have to I don't have to rush in right away. They're still there. Now it could be the next shot puts them out. Sure. But I'm gonna let that fight go. The next type of knockdown you're gonna see is different. They're gonna be going backwards, but their hands don't go back mm. to stop that fall. In fact, sometimes their hands are frozen. Sometimes they're up high and they're just falling back. And sometimes their head hits. Different situation. You've got right. to be there quicker. Going sideways is another way people are gonna fall. 
but people don't know if I if I'm gonna push someone and I push them sideways they're just gonna catch their balance because their brain is connected to their feet and they can actually mm-hmm. move that way but when someone falls sideways it's telling you Oh, the brain's starting to become disconnected because the feet are now stationary and will not move. Mm. Then you'll get the ones where the person falls forward. We don't fall forward. I can come up behind you and push you hard. You won't, And yeah. you'll, you'll kind of run, yeah. catching your balance. But when a guy goes forward, it's telling you he's been disconnected. Lights out. Those are usually the fights you're going to be coming in, possibly stopping right away. Right. Or you'll get the ones where the guys, they almost implode upon them. So they just kind of like a building being blown yes. apart and brought down. That's what happens in knockouts. So you got five different knockouts. So if you know those five different knockouts right away and you know exactly what you're looking at when it happens, it's going to give you an idea. Do I need to come in fast? Do I need to slow down? Do I need to give it time? Mm. Or do I need to actually just get this fight over right now? And these are the things that you do as a referee to build up that knowledge base. So what the fan is seeing and what you're seeing, it's mm. two different things. So interesting. So during my call with Frank Shamrock, who just adores you, and he's like, oh, he's, he's one of the best guys. He said that, you know, when he was fighting in the UFC, he requested you and he had enough pull at the time where he could make things happen. And he said he only wanted you because he felt safe in your hands. That is very nice of him. Yeah. You know, and I, I always, I, always I, t- I tell guys all the time or, or the, the female fighters, I am honored with every fight that I did. I didn't care, you know, if I did an amateur fight, I did it to the best of my ability. Mm. If I did the world championship fight, I did it to the best of my ability. And the one thing that I learned, you know, real early on was first off, hey, Frank Shamrock being a fighter. Yeah. Frank Shamrock doesn't need John McCarthy to help him. Mm. Frank Shamrock can take care of himself, just like his opponent can do the same. My job is to make sure that Frank is given an equal opportunity, mm-hmm. a fair platform to perform on. And if Frank is unable to continue with that performance in a competent manner and is needing someone to get him out, I'm going to get him out before he gets seriously hurt. Mm. You know, because safety is, uh, although it's a, it's a weird word when you're talking about right. fighting, <laughs> fighting. Yeah. it is everything. Yes. You know, and, and Andy Foster agrees with this. He's all about protecting the fighters. He, well, Andy's a special guy. Yeah. As far as, you know, executive director-wise, well, you know, you, and people don't realize, you, you look at Andy, Andy was a good fighter. Mm-hmm. Okay, people don't realize that. Andy, they don't give him credit for that. They see him as a suit, and so they're like, why is a suit dictating how yes. much I should be able to cut weight for weigh-ins? And, you know, I, I have this dialogue with fighters. I'm like, mm, actually, this guy used to fight, and yeah. he was a promoter, too. Like, he's worked in every aspect of the sport. He has, but when you're looking at youth and fighters, they're not looking past the next day, mm. and they're not thinking what that weight cut will do to them. In their brains, not only possibly in this fight, but yeah. years down the road, mm-hmm. the effect it's going to have on their health. Right. And they're, they're not looking at that at all. And that's what Andy Foster is trying to do for them. Right. By creating, hey, I'm not going to let you lose this much weight. Hey, I'm not going to let you lose that much weight and then come up and you're 15% over. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let you fight. Right. We talked about um, a 15% window. And uh, he said he tries to allow a little bit more time um, between weigh-ins and the fight to recoup, so about thirty hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 that the whole recuperation thing. You know, this started, and I was one of the ones that started with Andy. Is the first early weigh-in mm. 
that was really done for the UFC was at UFC 199 here in Los Angeles. Mm, okay. Okay. And then it, the whole weigh-in thing and, you know, Dana started coming out with the whole, oh, you know, we don't like this early weigh-in. Why didn't he like it? Mm. Well, because he started having more people miss weight because they didn't have saunas that were open at five in the morning. Right. They had to change the way that they were doing this cut. Mm-hmm. Not the whole reason for the change of the time for the weigh-ins was as simple as it gets. It gave the fighter more time to rehydrate. Mm-hmm. We knew what they were doing. Right. And said, what's safer for the fighter? Is it safer to have them rehydrating for basically about 20 to 23 hours? Mm-hmm. Or is it better to have them rehydrating for... Eh, somewhere between 35 and 38 hours. Mm. Well, it was simple. Right. But people don't look at the reasons behind why these things are done. You know, it's all about the health of the fighter. The the one thing is, you know, I'm seeing more and more, and I I love when I see Conor McGregor's fighting Donald Cerrone, and Mm -hmm. it's 170 pounds. Right. They were comfortable. Yeah, they were comfortable because they both – Connor didn't lose any weight. Right. And Donald lost three pounds. Right. Okay. He was still drinking his Budweiser. <laughs> Hello. And which means they're as healthy as they can be. They're a hydrated yes. fighter. That's the way. There's no sport out there. Show me the sports besides wrestling and amateurs, mm. MMA and boxing that takes a athlete and says, let's deplete them of all the water <laughs> in their body. Yeah. And take food away from them because we don't want them to eat. Right. And now we want them to go perform to the best of their ability. No. <laughs> when you put it like that, it sounds so funny. I mean, it is crazy to me. I'm I'm very vocal about being against it, you know. And then and then there's guys like Tyron Woodley who came on the show and he's like, "Yo, if you're not in MMA, if you're not a fighter, don't even weigh in on it." And I'm like, you know, not true. Yeah, because yeah. it's for me. I'm very much with you and Andy Foster. You know, Andy has this line. He's like, look, while fighting is going to be, no doubt, the best time of your life, the most exciting time of your life, it's only a time in yeah. your life. And there is life after fighting. Yes, there so is. So the, his ultimate objective is to just ensure the best quality of life after. That's it. Yeah. You know, like I said, I didn't expect to live past me. You know, if I hit 35, I was said, man, I, I'm home run. I did it. Stop. And now, you know, I'm 57 years old. So I want to keep going. Yeah. Okay. There's a Good. lot there. And so- this is, you know, when, 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 and I love Tyron, but Tyron is only thinking of Tyron. Mm-hmm. He's thinking of nobody else. Right. And a lot of these guys out there are looking at someone like Tyron and going, well, I heard that Tyron Woodley is losing 25 pounds. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he fights at 170. But when he's, when he's walking into that cage the night of that fight, he's 195. Mm. There's 25 pounds. I want to do that. And they don't know how to do it. And they right. don't do it in any kind of smart way. And they don't have an understanding. And we have people dying from weight cuts. Yes. Okay. And by the way, just so everyone knows, I've been in touch with Tyron for like months. He started his training camp way early. This is not your oh, typical yeah. eight to 10 weeks. He's been going for months. So if you think that those 25 pounds are shed overnight, that's not what's happening. No. He's very smart about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's, and there's a, just a level of difference of what Tyron can do with nutrition Right. The food that he can eat. The, the resources people that, can, that Exactly. He has. All of this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like Andy Foster is having to look at the sport of MMA mm-hmm. as a whole. 
Right. He's looking at the top being the UFC. Right. And he's looking at the bottom being these grassroots, sometimes amateur shows. Right. Where you have people that have no idea what they're doing. He needs to protect not only those UFC guys, he right. needs to protect those those guys that are down at the bottom. Absolutely. Okay, I want to take a, a quick pause for a Titan CBD toast. All right, so Titan CBD is um, my sponsor. They're an incredible company. Now, this guy, uh, Dave, the CEO, he's a scientist. He owns this um, DEA-approved lab in Wisconsin, and he's been at it for over 20 years. And he decided to come up with his own formulation, and it started as a treatment for kids, but it's tasty and fun and you you're familiar with like pop crystals right where like they fizz in your pop mouth. rocks yeah yeah so that's essentially what this is with cbd in it so we're going to do a little toast okay so um these rocks are they go sublingual under your tongue so pop them in your mouth and just let them dissolve under your tongue i'm hearing him yeah you hear the um the fizzing they are pop crystals yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Mm. So, what do you think of the taste? Great. Mm -hmm. Candy. Yeah, <laughs> it's candy. It feels really good. But now that I'm talking, they're not under my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they kick in super quick. So, you'll feel them in the next few minutes. And um, if you have any ailments like from the gym, like sore muscles. Yeah, think. I know. You're talking about all of the different metal and rubbers in your body <laughs> i'm assuming you're in pain um so it'll be interesting to see if you feel any type of like you know improvement from that i've taken it for anxiety and um like gym ailments and but it's also really good for arthritis cool yeah okay so we'll circle back with you at the end of the show and see how you're feeling hopefully really groovy I'm be on the ground laid <laughs> out okay so john why did you stop reffing Ah, truthfully. Yeah. Um, two reasons combined. First off, I did, I did have a, uh, I had a neck injury that caused me to the point where I had so much muscle atrophy, mm. I couldn't even lift my arm. Wow. I could not, I couldn't lift the, I was hoping that one person on, on my right side would because I couldn't lift my left arm. And so it was, if I was ever hoping that someone won, it was just because they were on that side, but I would actually reach over and put their hand up. So I ended up having multiple neck surgeries. And you know, it's like, if I sit here now, that's as far back as my neck will go. Wow. Yeah, so it, it doesn't, you know, it's fused now. I always thought fusing was bad. You can still live your life, it's fine. But I had, uh, I, I got one operation and it worked for a day, basically, mm. and then it kind of, the nerves had been crushed so bad that it switched sides, and then my right side started doing the same thing. Oh, my God. And I had to go back in, get another one, so I've got, I got cut here, cut here, and I got a cut going down the back of my neck. And it was the it was actually the Rose Nami Yunus versus jo Joanna Jenjacek fight. Okay. Was the fight that told me, you're done. Wow. Okay. When and was this? It was November fourth of two. I want to. I think that one was November fourth of two thousand and seventeen. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> it was the Michael Bisping putting his uh, mm. title on the line against George St. Pierre, also. Mm -hmm. And I had the, those two fights were the uh, two of the championship fights. 
that I had. And if you watch, I was I had gotten pretty thin because I wasn't mm. able to work out and do any, a lot of things. But Rose is doing well. She hurts Joanna, and then it gets to the point Joanna starts to to turtle up and. I was afraid. I was normally with, with Rose. I would have just picked her up and put her to the side. She's, wow. Well, she's a. How much is she weighing the night of the fight? 125, 130 pounds. Yeah. Okay. So that's easy for me. I did it. You watch, you can see me how many times I just pick or just grab someone <laughs> to pick them up. And yeah. I was used to that. And I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to, to mm. just move her the right way. And I didn't want to run into her and, and push her out of the way. I was afraid of hurting her. Sure. Just because of the size difference. And so you, you'll see me, I take it and I just say, you know, stop. And I put my hand on this hitter kind of a little bit on thing. And she did. She, you know. Right. And it looks clean, but in my head, I was like, you were like not feeling wrong. confident anymore. That's not wrong. That's not the way to do this. Yeah. And so uh, I came home from that show and, you know, it, it was a great show. But you know, I, I talked to my wife. I said, look, I'm not doing this the same, and if things aren't don't change, I'm going to stop. Because mm. I don't want to be that guy that you know what you should have stopped here and you didn't. And so uh, it was actually funny. The UFC, well, it wasn't the UFC. It was Fox. Was uh, they were wanting to do a special on me and you know mm. kind of you know how I came up in the sport and everything. Yeah. And I was actually shooting that in Las Vegas, and I got a call from Scott Coker. Mm. And, you know, he said, President of Bellator. President of Bellator. And uh -huh. he said, Hey, uh, I got a question for you. I said, Yeah, what can I do for you? And he said, uh, Would you consider auditioning for color commentator? Yeah. And I go, Why? <laughs> yeah, that was, I'm, I'm stupid. So I what? I'm thinking you didn't, he didn't need one. And uh, he said, Well, Jimmy Smith isn't going to be with us anymore. And, and he goes, We're going to have an opening. He said, I want to know if you want. I said, yeah, I do. And it was just that fast. That's perfect. And so probably a week later, I was out in L.A. In fact, it was, uh, I had the Khabib Nurmagomedov fight like December 30th. Mm. It was the last fight I ended up ever refereeing for MMA. Yeah. And I uh, did that. And then a couple of days later, I went out to L.A., uh, did the audition. They offered me the job. Nice. And it was like, it was almost like, you know what, I always say, what's meant to be is meant to be. Yes, you know? I so agree. Yeah. I think that if, listen, if you're hardworking and you put yourself out there and you're not a pain in the ass to deal with and you're not <laughs> riding around with a huge ego, yeah. stuff is going to happen for you. Yeah, good stuff. You yeah. Know? And it was, I looked at it and I said, man, how many people can be as lucky as to have three careers in their life you know i, I mm. was lapd i was successful with that i i really enjoyed it I yeah. had, you know you had a full career 23 years 23 years i have a pension so i can say that i retired amazing 25 years as a mma referee wow. and then if i can do the commentating and if i can make that happen hey that's another career that's i'm doing all right and you know some people are going to like me some people are going to hate me and that's okay yeah you know my whole thing was if i do it i i have to find people that are going to be honest with me about hey you, this is a mistake you're not doing this right you're doing this right don't do that do this right and you know i have those people around me they're honest yes and i have you know 
I will always miss refereeing. Mm. I loved it. I bet the guys that are, you know, refing when you're on the clock they are like hate it. I know because you're the authority on <laughs> exactly. the matter. I, I would, I would just, I would be so uncomfortable. It's so funny, you know? <laughs> and it was it, a lot of them was, hey man, you know, uh, you're not gonna like, you know, pick apart what I do. And I said, man, that's not my job. My job is to explain to people why you did what you did. Hmm. You know, you you're just, still judging. You, you just can't go help it. do your thing. I said, and I'm going to back what you did as long as it makes sense, as long as it's reasonable, mm. as long as you're not an idiot. Right. I'm going to say this is why he did it, All right? And because I know it better than than most of the people out there. Right. So, you know, in the beginning, a lot of them were worried. Now they're all like, "No, I love the fact that because you're going to explain exactly why I did what I did." Right. And so it's it's actually worked out pretty well for me. That's awesome. I mean, I, I feel like I would be terrified though because you know. You, I feel like it would be very difficult to have full confidence in your performance when, you know, the guy who wrote the book on it is sitting there critiquing you. But what you've done is you've, like, extended your loyalty to these guys. So you're like, you know, I'll back you as long as I agree with it. And if I don't agree with that, I'm going to explain why. Yep. But there's no ego about it. No. And you're not, you're not um, judging to judge. You're, you're trying to correct the behavior. You know, and that's it. Obviously, and one of the things that I tell every referee, first off, be honest. Mm -hmm. Never lie. Never sit there and make an excuse. Mm. If something happens in the fight and you know, uh, I didn't do that right, mm -hmm. then your job is to be honest. I made a mistake. Wow. All right, what here, does that mean for the fight? Well, it can mean that the fight is turned into a no contest. Oh, shit. You know, I've had it done. You know, I, wow. I, I had a fight, uh, I want to say... I think it was UFC 157 mm. here in California. Uh, guy named Robbie Peralta, good young fighter. He's fighting a guy named Mack and Smizer. It's a good fight. They're going, and in the third round, they come together, and everything is dependent upon your what we call mechanics of where you're going to stand. Mm. And you stand in certain places based upon the, the positioning of the fighters, and they come together, and they're both swinging. And I think that Robbie hits Mackens with a left hand, and Mackins goes down. Mm. And Robbie goes after him and he's going to finish him. I stopped the fight. As I look up on the replay, mm. first thing I see is when they do come together, I see their heads clash. Mm. And it, the angle that I had from where I was at, couldn't, couldn't see, see the it. head clash. But now on the replay, I can see there's a head clash. Yeah. So I went, you know, that we had just, we had already announced uh, Mack and Smizer. I went in the back and I told Mack and Smizer, Hey, take it to the California State Athletic Commission. I will tell them, hey, I missed that clash of the heads. That is what actually caused you to be hurt and finished. Wow. You know, and they overturned that that fight, made it a no contest. You gotta be honest. Right. You're affecting this person's career. That is such a heavy load to bear though, you know, to walk in there and know that these guys just trained for eight, ten plus weeks. You know, and they put their lives on the line for this, and you're the reason that you know that fight didn't wasn't done properly, or you know didn't um, come to fruition properly. You know, it's a but it takes a real strong character and a lot of integrity to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to own my shit. Yeah, it's you know you have to be honest about it. It's going to happen. You cannot. Everyone thinks because you're the guy that's right there that you see everything. No. You don't. Not even close. Yeah. And you can't get in the way of the fighters. And if they're moving all around rapidly, you want to stay out the way. Yeah. 
And everything is about you have to create the angle that's going to give you that view that you need mm -hmm. to see what occurs. And sometimes you're in transition or the fighters are switching and things, and right. they happen just as you get to that. Right. And then you don't see it the same. And so, you know, it's that's what makes refing difficult. It will never be an easy job. Okay. Big John McCarthy. I want to ask your opinions on some of the past fighters that I've had on this show that are, you know, all at Bellator. Let's go. Okay. So give me like a 30-second eval on each of these. AJ McKee, go. The future. Yes. The kid is unbelievably talented. He 17 is 17-0. So good. The only person right now that you have to worry about fighting AJ McKee is AJ McKee. Wow, really? He's the guy that can beat himself. Yeah, because if he doesn't do the right things in preparing himself for that fight mm. or doesn't fight the right fight, his last fight, he looked great, but he also looked sloppy at times. Mm. And it was because he was trying to put on a show for people right. and not just fight his fight and let the fight come to him. He had had an eight second knockout. Yes, I want to do that again there. kind of thing. That's not going to happen in every fight. Right. Let the fight come to you. And that's just experience. He is the future. Okay. What do you think will be his demise, if anything? Like I said, the, the, you know, his demise, if, if it happens, is going to be based upon what he does. When, when you have success, especially success as a young man, which AJ is, mm. it's easy to think that, oh, it's always going to be there. Right. It's not. It took you so much work. Conor McGregor just kind of showed this and and proved this, you know, with what he just did with Cowboy. Because people can say what they want. Cowboy is a phenomenal fighter, mm -hmm. and yeah, Conor, you know, dismantled him quickly. But yeah. that's the Conor McGregor of the past. And there was a Conor McGregor in between his fight with Eddie Alvarez and his fight with Khabib mm. that changed. He didn't train the same. Right. He didn't put in the same hours, the same effort. He didn't, wasn't learning, and it showed. Mm. And so this is what you have to learn as a fighter. I have always got to be improving. I have always got to be pushing limits and learning. If mm. I'm not learning, I'm walking backwards. I've got to be learning so I can walk forward and continue to improve. Every fight you have is going to be difficult. Boss Rutten says that what he tells himself to keep going is my opponent is doing an extra three rounds. That's it. Yeah. You've got to outwork your opponent. If yeah. you are out training your opponent, now that doesn't mean as you get older, boss, there was a lot of problems there. Right. Okay. He's breaking down. Mm. He actually trained so hard that he broke himself down. Right. And so you have to be smart about that. But AJ, where he's at, AJ can f train forever mm. and the, the sky's the limit for that kid. Okay. Ava Knight, brand new to MMA. Man, I'm uh, loving what Ava Knight does. And, and this is, she's got a long ways to go. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and blow sunshine up someone's butt about her, but she has got s just certain things about her. First off, for a small, and I mean small, framed yeah. female fighter, you do not find people of her weight it's like calibers of guns, okay? I was okay. kind of getting into something here, but <laughs> I, I, I'm not never trying to put someone down, but you know, women fighters, there's a reason women boxing didn't do well. Mm, what's that? All the fights were going the distance for the most part. 99% mm. of the fights went the distance. You didn't get knockouts because they are of a smaller weight. Right. And so their ability to land a one-punch shot 
and knock somebody not only down yeah. but out of the fight, especially given boxing where they get time, it's not easy for them to do. It takes multiples sure. to, for that person to be standing through those multiples, getting hit, and getting four, five, six, seventh shot now puts them to the point where now they're having a hard time getting themselves up from that knockdown. Yeah. Ava Knight, for a small fighter, mm -hmm. she can punch. She's got power. Yes. She hits hard, and she goes to the body well. Mm -hmm. Footwork is beautiful. Where she's got to learn, she needs to just accept the the style of a Chuck Liddell. She wants to be a sprawling brawler. Mm. If she learns defensive wrestling and learns it well, how to keep herself where she is better than everyone on her feet, Yeah, learns a little bit more of the kicking range because it's different in MMA than it is in boxing and yeah. she's got to be careful. If she, she's starting to eat a lot of leg kicks, that can break her down. But man, her hands are so good. Yeah, she's known for that, right? And she has got power because she's, instead of being that, that, fighter that you look and say that's a 22 caliber she's firing a nine millimeter she mm. can hit and she's gonna this fight is gonna say a lot the girl that she's fighting has got a very good ground game she's gonna be diving to take her down yes we'll see how she does defensively let's see we're rooting for you ava okay uh joey davis jr undefeated at Man. everything I, you know, I've known Joey since he was a young kid. I've known his, really, I, so I, you know his wrestling career with oh 123 yeah. and hours or pictures? something. <laughs> really, oh, yeah. you got I him. Got, I got pictures. Joey used to go to tournaments that I would do and stuff. He is his dad is phenomenal. I love his dad. You know, one of the best one of the best moments. Uh, just hit Joey's uh, not his last fight. His fight before that, I think it was October fourth, because uh, Joey fought in Hawaii. Yeah, but October fourth he fought. The Patanga one. Yeah, I was there. And his dad, you know, he, he he hit that guy and he goes down and knocks him out. And Joey's dad was behind me and he's just, you know, that's my son. Uh. And I was loving it because, you know, he has been there for Joey. Yeah, he lives for him. Through, he does. And it's a beautiful relationship. And Joey is getting so much better. I did Joey's first fight, mm. his first pro fight. And he was nothing more than a wrestler. And he almost lost that fight because he did not know how to fight. Wow. He knew how to wrestle and he was a great wrestler. Yeah. And now the athleticism of Joey Davis and that wrestling background of, hey, I can take you down when I want, but you have to worry about me taking you down, which is going to open up my hands and it is opening up his hands. Mm. And he's hitting people with spinning back kicks now and he's becoming a complete MMA fighter. He's right at that level. He's he's. His next fight is going to be the one that puts him mm. into that A A category. Interesting. Of you're a contender. You're a guy that people yes. are going to have to deal with now. But that's going to put him also in that. He's got every fight is going to be a tough fight. Yes. But he's ready for Higher it. Higher caliber. Um, okay. Kimbo Slice Jr. Oh, Baby Slice is a good baby kid. Baby Slice. Man. You know, I, I loved his dad. His dad was such a good guy that... People had this, they had no idea what Kimbo was like, you know, and Kimbo, he signed up, uh, he came into my gym and I had a, I had a poster up of him fighting Tank Abbott Yeah. and on it he wrote, he's, and I, and I, at the time I wasn't, uh, I wasn't reffing and he says, you know, someday John, you're going to ref my fights. Aww. Right. And I said, I don't think so. And he goes, I'm telling you, you are. And you know, he was right. I, I refed quite a few of his fights later on, but his son is super athletic. His mm. son is a good kid. He doesn't have you know the size of his dad. And he doesn't right. have the power of his dad, but his wrestling is really good. He's completely opposite of his dad. His dad would you know 
get the wrestling away from me. I hate that yeah. stuff. I want to stand up and I want to hit you with these hammers. And his son is really good. Baby Slice just needs to let the fight happen. Instead mm. of forcing the fight, let it happen. Let it let it flow. Don't it's worry like a dance. about Yeah, don't worry about getting rid of somebody fast. You have 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that could happen in the first minute, which it has for him. Right. Or it could happen in the 15th minute. I feel Don't like force it. Team Body Shop is all about that initial knockout. Like everyone wants to go cuz I'm I'm seeing it with AJ, you know, Joey accomplished it fairly quickly. I think him, but you know, it's like Antonio McKee's producing these guys that are very strong. You know, but I, right, that's what we're seeing a trend. Yeah, Antonio. Well, Antonio is a great coach, and yeah, there's competition in everything those guys do, and they, and that competition comes from Antonio because he can't get rid of it. Right. You know, it's just it's in his blood. But you know, when Baby Slice sees AJ go out there and get an eight second knockout, or he sees Joey go out there and get a knockout in the first minute, mm -hmm. he wants to go do it too. Right. Don't worry about them. Right. I don't care about them. You're Baby Slice. What would you say his biggest strength is? His biggest strength, in my opinion, is his athleticism and his grappling ability. He okay. understands base balance and where to position his body when he takes somebody down. And he is so fast and and strong for his size mm. that he gets people down when they think that they're, they're going to defend it. Mm. He doesn't have the stand-up game that AJ has right, right now. It's getting better. His hands are getting better, but his grappling game is really good. And most people, and I don't know why, they worry about his hands because of his dad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he's got that reputation. He wants yeah. to go out and knock people out. And that helps him. He just needs to grow into, I don't have to end a fight in the first minute of the, of the fight. Interesting. You know, it'd be very interesting to see if any of these guys take your feedback into account. Um, we'll certainly tag them in the post. Let's do a little um, a Titan CBD recap. How are you feeling right now? Same as I always do. Yeah? Yeah, no different. No different. No. Okay. Well, given the size of your paws, okay. um, I'm wondering, maybe we need to kind of like up your dose, which is a possibility. Possibility. Because the dose I gave you could knock me out, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. Well, Thank you so much for being here, Big hey, John McCarthy. I, you're seriously such an honor. Like when I have to say, I was a little intimidated by you because you you are just a no bullshit kind of a guy, and I've only seen you at Bellator, so you're kind of like in your zone and don't want to be bothered, which I understand. But um, I do want to thank you for offering me some support and guidance when I was doing my LXF4 cage interviews. And I'm like, you know, this is like- Congratulations on that. Thank you. It's awesome. Thank you. You know, Sean Merriman texted me. He's like, you did a great job. You know, he's got his girl, Amber Theo Harris, who kind of like does it regularly because they've known each other for a long time. But anytime she can't do it, he's like, the spot is yours. Perfect. And, and that's just fun. You know, it's fun for me to grow. And um, and coming from you with all the experience in the world, it's been really cool to, to have your support and feedback. So thank you for that as well. John, what's your Instagram handle? My Instagram handle is John McCarthy MMA, same as my Twitter handle, John McCarthy MMA. Right. And then uh, have the Weighing In podcast with Josh Thompson that I do that you can get on Perfect. Spotify or Apple or YouTube, all of them. Okay, we are officially out of time. Thank you guys for listening. You can find me at The Jenna Ben Show on Instagram. The show airs five times a week, starting with Tuesdays at 8 p.m., all Pacific Standard Times. Next air is Thursday, 9 a.m., Friday, 9 p.m., Saturday, 5 p.m., and Sunday at 7 p.m., Again, all Pacific Standard Times. Thank you so much for the love and DMs and support. I appreciate all of you guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>